Uh, so, as Dave uh, mentioned earlier, Elder Dave, he said, I'm a student at Greenville Seminary, and this past week um, was our normal winter intensive courses where we do the lectures of an entire semester's worth of courses, all in, uh, of one course, all in one week. And this week I took the uh, ethics course. I had uh, Ryan Lee in the course. I was online out in space and there in class in Greenville. Um, but through this class, we mainly just considered the law of God and the law of God applying to the various areas of our life. And there is something that was mentioned by the teacher that stood out to me that I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, the instructor was a ruling elder in the PCA, uh, licensed to preach, but stayed a ruling elder um, for his whole career there, working with mostly campus ministries in the PCA. Uh, Mr. Elkin said this. After a long pause, he turned to the group of men and said, I'm sorry. And we're all like, sorry for what? And he said this. He said, this is one man's opinion, but this is what he said. He said, I'm sorry that the church is the way it is right now. He said, you guys were born into it, but my generation brought it about. The lack of prayerfulness, the lack of discipline, the sexual sin and divisions that are all throughout the church. And he said, I'm sorry. I want to help you the best that I can. I don't know exactly what to do, but you guys are going to have to clean up the mess that my generation brought in. And after a long silence, after he says this, one of the students raises his hand and he says, yes, how did it happen? And he said, that's a good question. You see, we cared a lot about orthodoxy and we forgot about orthopraxy. You know what I mean by that? We cared a lot about the truth, but we didn't bring it to our lives and live it. You know, our shorter catechism says, what do the scriptures principally teach? Um, and it says that we're, the scriptures principally teach all that we are to believe concerning God, orthodoxy, and what duties God requires of man, practice, living it out. You know, Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, many of you may know you could divide the book of Ephesians into those two categories, that orthodoxy, chapters uh, 1 through 3, and that uh, practice of the gospel in the lives of God's people in chapters 4 through 6. But even in dividing it that way, in chapter 1, we see both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We see both the gospel brought forth and we also see through the example of the Apostle Paul the living of the gospel. Like we noted uh, two weeks ago, Paul talks about us being grafted into Christ, united to Christ, and then he goes on to this symphony of the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then it leads him to his knees. It leads him as an individual to being one who responds to the gospel preached and received 
and believed, he responds to that by going to his knees in prayer and praying for the church. Um, If you go on the Orthodox Presbyterian website, do you know what it says our motto is? It says, preaching all of God's word and sharing all of Christ's love. And I, I like that motto. It's helpful. It's, it's orthodoxy and it's orthopraxy. Because if we love God, we keep his commandments. And in keeping the commandments, we become neighbors who love each other. And I, I want us to consider tonight that the church, not just this congregation or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or the Reformed faith, but the church broad needs a major revitalization work done in the area of prayer. Uh, We need to be more skillful and thoughtful in the way that we pray. You see, Paul starts by recounting information uh, that had been given to him. He says in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease... To give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. You see, he hears by by report to him that they have this faith, which is this uh, understanding of the gospel, believing it to be true, and then trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith in the life of the Ephesians is leading to a mutual love for the body of Christ. They have faith. And it leads them to love in Jesus Christ. And because of this, this is actually the reason that Paul is praying for them. It leads him to his knees and to thankfulness. Which I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I I hear uh, of the faith of others and love in congregations, I usually say, praise God. And and I am happy about it. but if I'm being honest, I don't know how often it's, it's driven me to my knees in prayer. And so I, I think if you're anything like me, uh, we need to do some, uh, some work and be thoughtful when we hear things like this. And it should drive us to our knees to be thankful to God and to pray for those people that they might continue on in the faith. You know, Paul prays for them. Uh, Sometimes, though, when we look at our own prayers, we're so fixated on the the immediate, the affliction, the difficulty, the hard circumstances that we uh, lose sight of the great and grand gospel truths that the Apostle Paul puts before us tonight. Well, what do I mean by that? About a month ago, a little over a month ago, I was out in South Carolina. I was sitting at the dinner table of the pastor out there who was uh, with us in the Sierra Nevadas this last summer. And he turned to me and he said, I wonder if, I wonder if we could hire Dave to organize another trip for all East Coast people. And I said, oh, that, that'd be nice. I said, why, why don't you just hike in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains? Why don't you just get on the Appalachian Trail and do some hiking there with just in your own mountain range? And you know what he said to me? He said, Eli, all we would see is trees. 
and we'd hike 40 miles and only go up 400 feet. But I want to submit to you that sometimes our prayers are like that. You know, sometimes in our lives we, we're in the thick of it, and our prayers are only concerning those trees around us. But if, if you've ever been out in the Sierra Nevadas, you're, you're looking around and you're brought to these grand vistas. You see the high mountaintops. And even when you're down in the valleys, the mountains are so large that you can peer through the trees and see the glory of the Lord's creation there. You know, the uh, great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Paul's letter to the Romans is his most precise gospel. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians is his most high and heavenly gospel. And there's something of, of, as the confession says, a heavenliness to the matter when you read the book of Ephesians, and especially when you get to the prayer of the apostle. He highlights those grand gospel truths in his prayers. So I want to... I want us to just be honest with ourselves, and I want us to ask ourselves, is the bulk of our prayer just the things right in front of us, or are we praying like the apostle does? And are we able tonight to take ourselves and follow Paul as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul's approach to model prayer is through the mind, Paul again and again goes through the mind, but it extends to the the body, to the actions. Uh, Sanctified thoughts lead to sanctified actions. Um, He says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Uh, Or elsewhere he says, look to the interests of others, but the mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You see, in the theology of the Apostle Paul, there is this direct connection of the mind to the action. See, we need to sanctify our thoughts, and then through the sanctified thoughts, we become people with sanctified actions. And the way, according to the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians, that that happens is by the work of the Spirit. He says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And you know, commentators go back and forth on this. Okay, is he talking about the Holy Spirit being given to them? Is he talking about the uh, spirit of a congregation being prayerful? Um, And I think it's probably helpful um, to think of it as the Holy Spirit because it is the gift that is given to the congregation. Uh, But either way, the same result uh, is that they would have a prayerfulness that is coming from their minds being changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. See, what the result is when the Spirit works in our minds is that we have those high and grand thoughts, those Sierra Nevada mountain range-like thoughts when we think 
of the gospel. And as the Spirit's working in the minds of the believers to give them this understanding, Paul, through his prayer, brings three petitions to God. First, he petitions hope, another for inheritance, and also for an understanding of power. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Or with our mountain range theology, if we're down in that valley in the thickness of life, um, with our sins still sticking to us, um, what he gives us is three openings in the trees to see those grand mountains of biblical truth to shape our prayer life. And first, he talks about hope. You know, we spent some time... um, last week and the week before, talking about calling, although we didn't really use the word calling. We talked about being those who are in Christ, those who are redeemed and live redeemed lives, those who constantly think of our redemption in Trinitarian terms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul plants the hope that he has here in Ephesians 1 in the calling of the Christian. He says in verse 18, that the, we just read, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You see, Paul has been laboring with these Ephesians for some time. Now he's away writing to them. And he knows that the word has been preached. And it's been taught. And there's been an understanding in the minds of Ephesians And that the Spirit has worked in their hearts that they might believe that the understanding that they have is actually the truth. And then they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our uh, tradition would call this effectual calling. It's a work of God's Spirit. You can almost hear, as we read that in Ephesians, you can almost hear the words of the catechism. Effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. And know what it said at the end. Effectual calling is a work of God's spirit. It's a work of God. And in Ephesians here, he says that our hope is rooted in this calling. You see, the the hope of a Christian is sure, it's steadfast, because the hope is rooted in the work of God's Spirit. You know, I don't know about you, but I've talked to some Christians, and they say things like, I feel hopeless. Maybe you felt that way. Even wrestling with God, you feel hopeless. I know there's been times in my Christian life where I feel hopeless. But the reality is, whether you feel hopeless or not, if you believe, you have hope. It's true. You see, the unbeliever, whether he feels hopeful or hopeless, is hopeless. But the believer, because the hope is rooted in the work of God, he has all the reason to hope. Paul is saying to us who at times have felt hopeless, you're not hopeless. 
Your hope is in the work of God's Spirit. Therefore, hope. Paul reminds us that hopelessness is outside, not not outside of the experience, because we often can feel the hopelessness in our lives, but it's outside of the reality of the Christian life. If you know Christ, you have hope. And also, he talks about this, that they would understand through the work of the Spirit their inheritance. Enlightening your eyes that you may know what is the hope of your calling, which are the riches, uh, which are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, throughout the Bible, there's this idea of heritage, right? Heritage is that which receives the inheritance. Um, last week, we sang Psalm 16b, which says, The Lord is my inherited portion and cup. You see, first we receive the Lord, and he himself is our inheritance, and then all benefits flow from it. And that's what makes the church, the people who receive the inheritance. A Princeton theologian um, wrote this on this passage, which I found helpful and encouraging to my soul. I hope hope that it'll be encouraging to your soul. But he said this, Paul prays that believers may understand how precious this church is to God. Okay, wait, the quote's longer, but Are we there yet? Paul prays that believers may understand how precious the church is to God. He wishes them to appreciate the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The Christian church is the special possession of God. He has made it his heritage. It was purchased with the blood of his son. It has been called into being by the work of his spirit. It is to be through all eternity a proof and demonstration of his grace. Upon this church, men still look with scornful wonder. They fail to realize its origin, its influence, its eternal destiny. Members of the church, however, should appreciate their dignity. They are God's own people. They have been chosen by him to show forth his glory. They belong to that city which the walls are of jasper, the gates are of pearl, and the streets are of gold. In the light of that city, all nations of the world are yet to rejoice. When you hear the word saint, when you hear the word church, are these the things that come to your mind? And when you receive that, does it change the way You pray. So in in a simple way, I just want to ask you the question, do you realize what you are? The heritage of the Lord. He also prays that through their minds and the working of the Holy Spirit, they might understand the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says uh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, and the inheritance and the saints, 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Power. I want to ask you this question, because this group right here, that's pretty well catechized. And oftentimes, we just have to remind us of the same gospel truths again and again. But I want to ask you this question. What man or devil can contest the power of Christ? All authority over heaven and earth has been given unto me. The gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. The answer is no one. No one is able to contest the power of Christ. When Christ was resurrected and ascended and sat at the right hand of God, he received all cosmic power. See, the, the problem so often is we forget this. You know, we say things like, oh, well, what, what about our government? And then Paul says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Okay, but, but Paul, what about the nations? Paul says again, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is... Okay, what about spiritual powers, Paul? What about the devils and the demons? Far above all principality and power... And you you get it. See, Christ even has power over our so often sad, so often poor and pitiful lives. But we have received this inheritance, and we have received a Christ that has power over all. And why does he have this power? Why does he exercise this power? Well, it's for his bride. He exercises his power for you, believer. Verse 22, he says, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He exercises his power for people like you and me. Is there not a reason to rejoice tonight? Is there not a reason to run to our knees in prayer because of this hope? because of this inheritance, because of this power that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's by the Spirit, which is why we pray again and again, speak, O Lord, speak by your Spirit. Speak through your word that we might know the hope, the inheritance, and the power. This would be Paul's prayer for you tonight. And it should be our prayer for ourselves here and for all the other churches. You know, this wasn't the easiest this past year wasn't the easiest year for the Herzl family. And this next year might be harder. And I know you look at your own lives and maybe you've had a hard year. Maybe your year will get harder. And maybe even down the road 10 years, you'll be in a harder spot than you are today. And you and I have different trials uh, to varying degrees. We so often find ourselves in that low forest and we're blinded by the trees around us, by our own experiences. But what will get you through? See, it's 
understanding those high mountain peaks that Paul prays for the Ephesians, for you, of hope and inheritance and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we should incorporate this into the way that we pray, that we might follow the Apostle Paul as he follows Christ. And don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm not saying stop praying for the other things. That would be wrong. The Lord hears the smallest of prayers and the weakest of prayers. In the Lord's prayer, he says, prayer, he tells us to uh, ask that the Lord would provide our daily bread. But we can't ever let the daily bread petition overshadow thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We need to incorporate this into our prayers. And... Uh, I was reading uh, this afternoon um, out of the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle. Have you guys read that? It's an excellent, excellent book. And he has this kind of peculiar chapter in there. It's, it's about Lot. And he notes this about Lot, which I find fascinating. He says something along the lines of, you know what Lot's problem was? It wasn't that he was an unbeliever. Right, if you read 2 Peter 2, it says that Lot was a righteous man. He was a believer. He says the problem with Lot that you read in Genesis 19 is that he tarried. He waited. You see that he's in Sodom, and the angels come and say, Lot, we've got to get you out of there. And Lot is slow to obey. He should have been quick, but he was slow and I, I don't know about you, but I look to my own heart and I find myself looking a lot more like Lot than other uh, more obedient biblical characters. That my obedience is slow. Um, and I would pray that as we consider these grand truths that we see in the uh, prayer of the Apostle Paul, that we would be those quick to obedience. That we would be those who hear of the salvation brought to new people and it would bring us to our knees that we might pray for them continually. And that we would be people who incorporate a heavenliness into our prayers. So let's start now and let's pray tonight and ask that the Lord would bless us and bless us for days and years and many more to come. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, we do confess that so often, Lord, uh, it's the sins of omission that uh, rule our life. And Lord, we're not as quick as we ought to be. We thank you, Lord, that you deal with us graciously. Um, but we pray, Lord, that we would be those who are brought into the heavenliness of the matter that we see here in Ephesians 1, and that it would shape the way that we think, and that we would put things into proportion as we think of the great gospel truths and we think of our own lives. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church that believes the right things but also applies it in our practice, and that we, Lord, would... Um, Get our hands dirty in this uh, cleanup work that needs to be done throughout uh, the evangelical world. 
So we pray, Lord, for an understanding of the gospel that would bring to us um, responsive prayers, responsive lives, and that there would be an increased holiness. Lord, I pray that the generation after me would be more holy than mine, and the generation after that more holy than the one before it. We're thankful, Lord, that it's you ultimately who are in charge of all things. It's you who work in us. So we submit all things to you tonight. We pray that you would work in us. Help us, Lord, to love the gospel and to love your law. In Christ's name, amen.